0: Open your Bibles to, to Revelation chapter 9 because it connects to where we are today. And so we're in the cycle of seven trumpet judgments. Just to remind everybody where we are, it's the second view of our church age as we get a look at it from a different perspective. Uh, we're going to get a, another view of it coming up. Um, it's the time between Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven and the time of his second coming when he returns to um, bring the kingdom for the final time. Um, trumpets in the Old Testament were signals um, the call for God's people to gather for instruction and to gather for worship um, the call for God's um, people at times to gather for war and it was a warning to God's enemies um, that the battle of Jericho we saw the seven trumpets in the seventh time the shouting and the walls came tumbling down and this is what we're to be called to be called to our minds so god is saying that the troubles that we see in this world are trumpet blasts and this is from the perspective of the church from god's perspective for Christ, church is always at the center of god's work on the earth and as the church is always centered around god who is at the center of all things, So the trials and tribulations this world experiences are calls to the world to repent of their idolatries, wars, their sins, and evil. But as we see at the end of the sixth trumpet, as we see in Revelation chapter 9, they do not respond ever, the ungodly, to these things. Now one of the things to keep in mind as we see Revelation is people do convert. But... One of the interesting things I think I've noticed in Revelation is you're not really told a whole lot about preaching the gospel. You're not really told a whole lot about converting those people. Um, the Revelation is seeing from an eternal perspective the church and those outside the church. And that's a set people. We don't know who they are. Our call, our commissions to go to the whole world preaching the gospel. And then when... The elect here, the gospel, it sometimes immediately works. Sometimes seeds are planted a long time, and then there's a conversion. God's people will be saved. God sent his son into the world to save the church. Revelation chapter 9, what we see is though. The judgments, there is nothing that can save anybody apart from the gospel. And we'll oftentimes say somebody just needs to hit rock bottom. I know what you mean. It's not necessarily bad to say. However, I've said jokingly that I want to create a new Flintstones character and his name is going to be rock bottom and he's going to be a pastor. And the way you get saved is by going up to him and hitting him once you hit rock bottom you get saved it's like and that's as ridiculous and silly as thinking that somebody is converted by hitting rock bottom no a non-believer or even believers at times you hit rock bottom and what we realize is they'll fall right back in the same hole a dog returns to his vomit that's what the bible says be careful Um, preach the gospel this is what saves people these trumpet blasts these judgments we see these things in the world Uh, You see the heavens declare the glory of God. You see the work of God and miracles all around us every day. The non-believing world is not going to be converted by that. The only thing that will convert a non-believer is the Holy Spirit working through the gospel. So that's what we're called to. So it makes us wonder as a church, and this is why this is written, when we see tragedy and we're called up in it, when we see the trumpet blast and we're called up in it, when we see the world attack, and maybe possibly defeating the church. It seems odd. How is this taking place? God says, let me pull back and show you what Jesus Christ is doing in the world, and and that's where we are. So Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, before we go to the word of the Lord, let's pray. Lord, we pray your blessing upon the reading and the preaching and the hearing and the receiving of your word. I pray that those who listen in this room or elsewhere, Lord, that you would help us all to give full attention. It is the fl- the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Help us to to hear by the spirit, and that you would give us an extraordinary ability, even this morning, to hear, and that we be translated from this kingdom into the kingdom of God. Even faith comes by hearing. We pray for ears to hear. So we pray this in Christ's name, Amen. So Revelation chapter nine verse twenty, the sixth. Trumpets have blown, these judgment blasts, and the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols and gold and silver and bronze and stolen wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now I think we look at verse 21 and we go, yeah, I can see that. But then we start talking about worshiping demons. Wait a minute. We don't believe in demons. That's crazy talk. Yeah, it is crazy not to believe in demons. So be aware, there are demons. But greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. We rebuke them in the strong name of Jesus Christ. But if you're not worshiping Christ, you're worshiping demons. There's no two ways about it. Everyone worships. But they did not repent. And that's where we are. So then you go to Revelation chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. Again, we're waiting for the seventh trumpet to sound. The end of the world. 10.5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he had announced to his servants the prophets, the mystery of God. And the mystery of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Uh, Marriage is called, uh, let me tell you, a mystery. It represents Christ in the church, with Jesus Christ as the head and and the wife as the bride. Um, And we're told that husbands are loved, their wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to present to himself a bride without blemish or wrinkle or, or any such thing. And so this mystery, this gospel preaching, the 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 thing that Paul said, if the if God if the dead are not raised, then we are to be a people most pitied. And so what we're gonna see with the seventh trumpet is God says, preview. We're gonna jump forward to the seventh trumpet. And we go to Revelation eleven. And the bulletin says 15 because we preached 14 last time. But 14 is the tie-in. So Revelation 11:14, the second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Now you look at this, and if you keep it up with us, <clears throat> those first two woes are like, whoa. It's like, it's just like, you know, woe is me. A woe is like, that's a terrible thing that, that happens. Um, we don't use that word so much anymore, these, um, but we might say something woefully was sung or something like that. But that kind of, whoa, it just means this is a a terrible, terrible thing that's coming. And now there is a third that is soon to come and then it's revealed and this is what we see. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever forever. And, ever. and the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your saints, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both great and small, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. The word of the Lord. So, if you're listening and you're keeping up, and you're trying to put yourself you know, in the place of John, and you're thinking, here comes the third woe, it's like, wait a minute, this is glorious. This is not a woe. And the only thing that seems to be woeful is this little tiny thing that's stuck in here that the nations raised, but your wrath came in the time for the dead to be judged. But then there's a rewarding of the saints and all these things. What's the woe? And it's simply because we don't. This is the, the scroll that was sweet in the mouth and bitter in the stomach. This is the woe for the nations because what is going to happen for those who not go into heaven? Is hell, A terrible woe that will never cease, that will never end, and will be full of justice before a holy God. It will not be more than ought to be. It won't be more horrific than it ought to be. It won't be more painful than it ought to be. And so we might sit there in our pews and go, It's good to know. I thought hell was going to be pretty bad. No, you have no idea how bad hell's going to be. Whatever you think it is, it's worse. The closest analogy the Bible comes to to give us that is a lake of fire. It's pretty bad. But even that is just an image of what it will really be. It's just a sign pointing to what the reality would be. But it'll be right and that's how bad sin is And that's our problem We don't understand the difference between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin We just don't understand how bad it was when Adam took that bite We don't get it He, he sided with Satan The murderer from the beginning Satan, Adam joined that team he rebelled against the holy and beautiful God that had given him everything and given him life and only told him one thing. Don't eat from a tree of the knowledge of good and evil from a tree of life. You may eat freely, but do not eat from that tree. And he listened to his wife, and he did it. And plummeted the entire human race into sin. Satan knew this would happen. Angels weren't created like this or created in this way. So that those who, as the catechism says, those who descend from Adam by ordinary generation fell with him and in him and in his first sin. And now we having this original sin within us, we actually have all of these sins that proceed out of our nature so that we just don't sin. We aren't just sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. And we don't, part of our sin is not recognizing how sinful sin is, the exceedingly heinousness, Sinfulness, dirtiness, I mean, think of whatever you can think of as being one of the most horrific things anybody can possibly do, and you get close to maybe thinking of how God maybe sees one of the least of the little sins that we think of. And so the fact that God had to send his son to die for us in order to redeem us indicates how bad sin is. If it wasn't that bad, then it wouldn't take so much. But it took that much. So when we see this last and final woe, for the church, this is vindication. For the church, this is glorious hope. But for those who are outside of Christ the third and final woe that, that lasts and so our call to the world is still repent and what we mean by that is not reform your life try to quit sinning yeah try to do better it means turn from your idols turn from the wickedness of this world turn from whatever it is that has is blinding you whatever has captured your gaze turn from it see us I mean a uh, Art, Art, Art Tolkien does this in *The Lord of the Rings*, the ring just grabs your you can't snap out of it—and um, he's trying to say this is what sin is. You had to turn from that and turn to Christ. And when you turn to Christ, you recognize the mercy and grace in Christ Jesus. And so that's what we're looking at. The final judgment has sounded, seventh trumpet. That's it. It's the end of it. End of the world. And so for us today, when is the final trumpet going to blow? When will this be? It's two points. One, it is going to blow. It will blow. There will be a final trumpet blast that will blow. And that's it. Today is time of grace. Today is time of hope. The ark is open. But there will be a day when God closes that door. And that's it. And the day, that if the Lord should tarry, the day that you die. That's it. Time's up, as Hebrews says. It's appointed a man once to die, and after that judgment. So why the emphasis on the end of the world? If we're all going to die, why don't we just talk about the end of that? Because everything will be set right. Because there will be a time when God says, "That's it. That's enough." And why does He wait so long? Because people are still being born. People are still being saved. The, the wheat, the harvest, is yet to come to its completion. The number of the martyrs, as we're told in Revelation, has not yet been complete. So as long as there is life, there is hope. But that will come to an end. There's no escaping the final day. There's no escaping death. So the trumpet will blow. Second is the trumpet is Always, and has always, since the resurrection of Christ and the, the birth of his church, the trumpet has always been about to blow. That's a big point. We miss it. The trumpet has been about to blow for over 2,000 years now. And you're like, oh, I don't know about that trumpet. <laughs> That's a long time. That's why Peter says, uh you're looking at it wrong God doesn't see time like we do a thousand years is like a day a day is like a thousand years to God he is not slow in the way that we think he is slow the message of Revelation is not for charts and timetables and prophecy conferences but we're so desirous to know the time because we're always convinced that the time is short and guess what it's because the Bible says time is short and that's the way we're supposed to live our lives in light of death and the final day when the seventh trumpet is for sure going to blow. It is a comfort, a comfort for God's people to see God's care of the church and his control over the church, but also to see that God is not passively watching and smiling from on high and saying, you know, sorry you're having a hard time, it's going to be all right. You know, he's not just on the sidelines yelling, you know, try harder, do better, you can do it. You know, whatever it is, coaching, encouraging. He's in the game. He's actively, he fights our battles for us. He does not weep over us with pity and wish he could do something. He doesn't has, have his fingers crossed in heaven hoping that you might be saved. He is... In control of things. As a matter of fact, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. And the Bible calls him a warrior. And so Exodus 15.3 says, The Lord. Now when you see the Lord in all caps like that, that's called the Tetragrammaton, the four-lettered name of God that the Jews found so holy because you're not supposed to take the name of the Lord thy God in vain so they wouldn't speak it. But it's Yahweh. That is how we believe it is to be pronounced. Uh, Y-H-W-H is how you see it spelled out. And it says, Yahweh, the Lord... God, Lord, Yahweh, is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. He's a man of war. So you might go, wait a second, God's not a man. Are we talking about Jesus? Are you missing the point? New American Standard translates this, Yahweh is a warrior. But Hebrew says man of war, which is a warrior. But I think that it's in this way to help us to see that God himself is like a man of war. Isaiah 42, 13. Yahweh goes like a mighty man, like a man of war. He stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. Jeremiah 10, 16. The Lord of armies is his name. Yahweh Sabaoth. The Lord Sabaoth is name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Sabaoth. Sabaoth is the Hebrew word. It means hosts. Well, that sounds nice. I have somebody that hosts a Tupperware party. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about armies. He is the God of armies. He is the God of a military horde of beings, the church, holy angels, who he commands and leads into the battle. So when we see pulled back the spiritual warfare taking place and we might see a fateful saint who is on his or her knees in tears or in, yeah, it, it looks like the battle's not going too well and what you would see is God himself fighting back and not with you know, think about God being the warrior. We don't think angels against other angels like oh this is a classic battle of the yin and yang and it balances out. No. The opposite of God is not Satan. God is Almighty. And so if he fights your battles, then nobody can stand before you. So the battles that we battle are for our good and for his glory. But he is not on the sidelines watching. God is fighting for his church. The trumpets are sounding, and we are called to be prepared. Not to give up hope, to maintain the faith, to continue the mission, to make disciples of all nations, teaching and being taught to observe all that Jesus commands. Revelation shows us the character of God, and the status of the church, and the strategies of Satan. As I've said, many people keep asking me, and I'm sure other people, you know, is this the mark of the beast? Is is that the mark of the beast? You know, I, I don't want to do that because that might be the mark of the beast. Well, be aware that the mark of the beast is the worship of Satan. You're not going go to go to to heaven. You're worshiping Jesus. You're trusting Him for your salvation. Uh oh, you got that tattoo. Uh oh, you took that vaccine uh-oh, you, you use the UPC code, that was the mark of the beast, sorry, off to hell forever. Because that's what the Bible says happens to those who take the mark of the beast, you go to hell forever. So guess what? Believer, it, it obviously is not that physical, visible mark. It's not the mark of the beast. However, there are things that are characteristic of the beast. There are things that demonically inspired, tyrannical governments may do that like Okay, that's not of God, that's of demonic power and influence, so be aware of those things. The mark of the beast is the worship of Satan, and those who are sealed by God are protected from these things. But we're told to be aware as we hear the trumpet sounding. And granted, they do seem louder today than they have for a while, so the other question or comment is, you know, this must be the end of the world. This has to be it. We're almost there. And I would ask, well, why? Why do you think this is it? Well, one thing would be, you know, because we're so powerful. Look what we can do. I mean, some people, we can destroy the world five times over. We have the ability to know everything about everybody. I mean, that's almost, that's pretty much literally correct. <laughs> it's just... You know, we're so powerful and so strong. Never been this powerful and strong. One world government, very easy. They're working on it, you know. Be careful of build back better. Be careful about a government that says, vote for me, I'll set you free. I will provide for you. Believe me, believe me, believe me. Don't trust the government. It's something I grew up believing. Be careful of those things you trust in. Trust in the Lord thy God. So it's got to be the end of the world because everything's getting so bad and, and we're so powerful but it sounds like the people building the tower of babel we're building this up we're gonna make a name for ourselves we're gonna reach up to god touch god what's god's response let me go down there and see what they're doing. it's like you know it's, it, it's mocking them in the bible they're they're building this temple to go up to god and he's like i gotta go down there and see what they're doing you know the audacity of them to think they're gonna reach up to me and what does he do He sends a whole bunch of, I mean, it's everywhere in the world. They're all gathered together, not spreading out like they're supposed to. What's he do? He confuses their language. Simple little thing. All of a sudden, they're looking at each other. (laughs) What? And so, you know, what do you do? So you find people that you can understand. You group together with them. Oh, I hear them. I group together. Language is a strange thing. It connects. And that's what he confuses is their language. So what would God have to do today? get rid of electricity make make gas a little scarce it doesn't take much to throw the world into chaos why do we think this is the end of the world because it has to be well all right I I have a thing on Facebook so there's a Facebook there's groups and one of the groups is like free or very inexpensive digital Christian theology books I was like, okay, and one of them that just came up was Augustine's, um, St. Augustine's City of God. I'm like, oh good, that. that's free. I need to be reading that. This is something we ought to all be reading, and I get it. It's like, that's a thousand pages according to my calculations on my little Kindle. That's going to take me 36 hours to read. I'll report back in the year 2028 20, when I finished reading this, but I started reading it. It's amazing. It is a really good book. Augustine who became a believer and was baptized in A.D., the year of our Lord, 386. Okay? The year 386. You got that? Not 1,386, 386. This is the year he became a believer. He is a theologian and the bishop of Hippo Regis, and he, it's in the Roman North Africa. So it's North Africa, controlled by Rome. Well, guess what? Rome gets sacked. gets defeated. Um, and Augustine was known as one of the most important of the church fathers and in the introduction to this book, The City of God that I came across, and I brought my Kindle with me so I could read this and it, on, it's waking up maybe the internet is down, oh my goodness that would throw us all into to chaos so this is the, an introduction to this particular book after more than 11 100 years of steady and triumphant progress 1100 years of steady and triumphant progress Rome has been taken and sacked It is difficult for us to appreciate, impossible to overestimate, the shock which was thus communicated from center to circumference of the whole known world. It was generally believed, not only by the heathen, but also by many of the most liberal-minded Christians, that the destruction of Rome would be the prelude to the destruction of the world. 386. This is it. End of the world. Oh, my goodness, time machine. And you go back, what year are you from? 2021? Yeah, right. You might as well be saying the year Gozean in six. You know, 2021. And then we could prove it. I got every book ever been written could much fit on this. I got a, you're a witch. I'd be burned at the stake for showing up with glasses. I don't know. I mean, there's no way. 386 obviously because of the destruction and fall of Rome it's the end of the world don't be so quick to declare the end of the world because the technological terror we've created of this world seems to be such that um, it can't stand we could go for another few thousand years we just don't know but the seventh trumpet is about to blast that's what God tells us. Don't ever think that it's not. Live in light of eternity. So were these guys in 386, were they wrong? And we said apparently. But they were not wrong to suspect it. Rome was destroyed, but the world kept turning. Revelation is written for the church as we see things growing darker and darker, as Satan, the prince of the power of the world, the ruler of this world, seems to be winning, be aware that he most certainly is not. The gates of death, hell, cheol shall not prevail against the church, but the trumpets are sounding. It's like an alarm clock. It's time to wake up. Stop hitting snooze. I know the bed's comfortable. I know the blankets are warm, especially as it gets colder outside, but beware, you may fall back to sleep, and then what good it's so, okay, 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 I'm awake, now what? now what? well, if it's your first time waking up, go serve the Lord, join a good church, get in the Bible, pray be encouraged, figure out all this stuff, believe, follow tell others about the gospel be faithful, trust him, meditate on his word, glorify God in all that you do, and do that To do that, you have to know Him. The more you know Him, the more you become like Him. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Partake of the means of grace. Now, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And we're told, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, we're told how, one of the places we're told how to live and what to do as believers, chapter 4, Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, starts off, Rejoice! Rejoice in the Lord. Because you might say, I have nothing to rejoice. I've got famine, I've got disease, I've got tyrannical government, I've got persecution, I've got death, I've got awfulness. Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. Now, Paul's writing this from prison. I'm convinced he writes this to himself, too, to say, what am I supposed to do? Guy, what am I supposed to do? Rejoice in the Lord always. Really, are you sure about that? Again, I say rejoice repeat it again. Let your reasonableness, and I got a little note, it says that means our gentleness, so your reasonable, your gentleness, your your understanding, so that your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. What's that mean? He's close by you. He's near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, so be thankful. It's amazing how thankfulness um, put, shines a light on resentfulness and bitterness. If you're resentful and bitter, then um, you go a a spiral, and Satan's able to grab that, and he's able to just to say, watch me make much mischief with this. And that's what we see happening in the world, ungrateful, unthankful, uncaring. So let us not be that way. And we're to let our request be made known to God And the peace of God then Which surpasses all understanding Will guard your hearts and your minds In Christ Jesus And finally brothers Whatever is true Whatever is honorable Whatever is just Whatever is pure Whatever is lovely Whatever is commendable If there's any excellence If there's anything worthy of praise Think about these things What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the peace of God will be with you. So you see a few things here we're supposed to think of. Pure things, just things, lovely things, commendable things, excellent things, praiseworthy things. Now you can watch the news, you can read, I think they still make papers, you can read those, you can keep up on what's happening in the world, but you be careful, because... (laughs) It is a great deception for you to get your news and information from the non-believing world. What do you think is behind that? Satan is behind these things. And you're like, well, gosh, John, what about science? Yes, even knowledge. Knowledge will increase in the last days. Be careful. I heard our president say the other day talking about things from top government doctors and sciences. When did we start doing that? Don't give so much power and control. Eventually, what's happening is they're going to take over the authority of the family. Then they'll take over the authority of the church. All authority will be handed over to the beast. And even the elect would be deceived were not the days cut short. Be careful. What do you look at? Things that are pure. How do you know what's pure? You can't listen to them tell you. The Bible describes in his word what is pure, what is just, what is lovely, what is commendable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. Because one of Satan's strategies is distraction. Look how bad things are. Give up. Give up hope. Complain. Blame. Be anxious. Take the sword of the world and the weapons of this world and fight and battle this world. Spiritual armor, the weapons of our warfare, are powerful to knock down strongholds. Go and, and destroy a, a building? No. The Bible says that's wrong. But demonic powers behind other powers that are coming at you with lies and deceptions and trying to take control over different things where you see tyranny arising, you can say, wait a second, that's not Right? <laughs> And then don't speak lies. You're told to say something that's not true, don't say it. You're told to do something you don't believe in, don't do it. You have to be able to say, I'm following Christ. So that when you live your life, you can say, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Look what he says here. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen, what you have received from me. What you have learned from, from me. What you have heard from me. What you have seen in me. Practice these things. If the Christians who learn from you, receive things from you, hear from you, and see you practice the things they see you practicing, would they be good Christians? And I mean good Christian in the sense of um, doing what he says to do. Don't believe for a second your works have anything to do with your salvation. If you can get justification and sanctification square, then you don't have to worry about such things. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now. What kind of people ought to we be? That's what the Bible asks. What kind of people ought to we be? We ought to be shining as lights in the world. Well, how do you know how you're supposed to live? Because you can't watch commercials. Because commercials will tell you how you're supposed to live. Be careful of the world when it tells you how to live. Be careful of the world when it tells you what true truth is. The Bible is strong. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible has lasted for millennia. And will, God's word, is the truth. Now be careful of those who come bearing the word. They're false prophets. They come in the name of Satan. But they come looking like an even Satan himself comes as an angel of light. So you had to be able to do like the Bereans. You compare scripture to scripture. You look to see if these things are true. You need to know the word of God. One of the problems we have in the church today is they listen to everything the preacher says like it's the word of God. Everything the preacher says, unless he's reading the word of God, is not the word of God. Is Am I faithfully exegeting scripture? And that's what we have to do. But the church has a prophetic witness in the world. That was the two witnesses that we saw at the beginning of chapter 11. And we saw that it just clearly goes back to the Old Testament being um, uh, Josiah the priest and Zerubbabel the governor. And that's so that you've got kind of kingship and priesthood. And all through Revelation you hear the church referred to kingdom of priests. It's the prophetic witness of the church to the world that the world hates and we'll seek to destroy that witness. So we have to speak light in the midst of darkness. Jesus says, if you just say, get behind me, Satan, if you just resist the devil, he runs from us. So it doesn't take anything except a mind of resistance. And then if we look at also Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Sorry, I turned away from it. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In verse 9, you follow and practice these things, what you have heard, learned, and seen. And so we have to say, are we living lives like that? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We can't be like the world, which is reactionary, anxious, angry, blaming others. We're we wearing the spiritual armor because of spiritual attacks that we're, we'll be under. So then in the face of trials, whatever they may be, we have to remember God is a warrior. He is on our side and we are on his. And Jesus said, John twelve thirty one. now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So Satan's the ruler of this world who tried to tempt Jesus with giving him the kingdoms of the world if he would only bow down and worship him, worship Satan. And that's what he tries to get everyone to do. Couldn't get Jesus to do it. He said, it's written, you worship the Lord and serve him alone. And now he has taken the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. <clears throat> but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. There we are. Seventh trumpet. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power for he must reign until... Who's reigning? Christ is reigning. Christ is reigning now. But there's going to come a time when he delivers the kingdom to the Father. Seventh trumpet. For he must reign until Christ has put all of Christ's enemies under Christ's feet. He will put all his enemies under his feet. And then he delivers the kingdom to the Father. Seventh trumpet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that's where we are. And we see it, Revelation 11:15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices from heaven. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. God and Christ, this is he's delivered it up to the Father. It has now become the kingdom of the world, has been given over. So you don't have the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God. You've got it's together. This is it. Everything's been set right. The, the, and we'll get to the nations in a second. And he shall reign for a thousand years. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not what it says in the Word of God. He shall reign forever and ever. When this happens, it's forever and ever. He handles Messiah. He shall roar ever and ever. Yes, amen. This is it. Ever and ever. And the 24 elders who we said represents the church, Old Testament, New Testament, the church. And they sit on their thrones before God because we see the saints are seated on thrones around their God fall on their faces now how do you do that when you're on a throne you fall off that throne you go right down you fall on your faces and you worship god and what do they say when they worship god we give thanks to you lord god almighty pentankrato is that word in greek almighty who is and who was and what's missing who is to come because here he is told you he was coming he is and he was and now he is come that's not improper grammar that is good grammar that we don't use anymore because we don't talk right no more so who is and who was and is come now for you have taken your great power and begun to reign it can be confusing to him he's not been reigning before not the God and the sun not God in his fullness on heaven and on earth now his righteousness dwells on earth and heaven this is the this is the reign of God forever, forever, as we're told. But you remember what happened, verse eighteen: the nations are aged. But your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. So you got to do this real quick. Gotta, Psalm two. I've been told. I think I've looked it up before. It's the only time you see God laughing in the Bible. And this is where I think, yeah, you know, <clears throat> Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? So that's where this is taken from, the nations rage, but your wrath came. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves <clears throat> and the rulers. They take counsel together against the Lord, against Yahweh, and against his anointed. All right, so anointed in Hebrew is Messiah. messiah. Anointed in Greek is Christos. And so the Lord and his Christ, the Lord and his Messiah. And that's what we see here in verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. That's Psalm 2. Okay, the Lord, Yahweh, and of his Christ, his Mashiach, his Christos, his anointed, and that means anointed for kingship. And what do they say? Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They who? God. He who sits in the heavens, you know what he does? He laughs about that. And so we see nations do that. We see people do that. We need to be like, Ugh, it's not good. God's laughing. I remember I used to go to see Bruce Lee movies when I was in high school. Probably shouldn't have been doing this, but we'd go to double feature, uh, midnight, kung fu movies in Rock Hill. And... <laughs> And they ate one dollar hot dogs, two for a dollar I think. Anyway, we were young and had good immune systems. And so, there'd always be some guy, Bruce Lee or somebody up there. And Bruce Lee, typical Bruce Lee movie is, I've made a promise to my mama that I won't fight anybody. And then people start bullying him and picking on him. And everybody in the movie is like, "Ah, Bruce Lee's a wimp. Bruce Lee's a wimp." And everybody in the movie theater is like, "Oh, you better leave Bruce Lee alone. Oh, you better leave Bruce Lee alone." And then finally, something happens. He the the, the seal of his promise is broken, and then he goes and he like kills everybody. So okay, it's got <laughs> the end of every martial arts movie is like that. Um, but it's like that in, in real life here. It's like you know if you're watching the church. Everybody in the world's watching the church is like, it's, it's weak from the heavenly perspective like oh you better not be messing with the church oh you better not be messing with a christian it's just we don't know our power because he who sits in the heavens last the lord holds them in derision then he will speak to them in his wrath and this is all happening at the seventh trumpet we see it in revelation 11 as for me i've set my king on zion my holy hill I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. This is talking to kings today. Be warned, rulers of the earth. This is what the church needs to be saying to the rulers of the earth. Be warned. Be wise. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with fear. Trembling, kiss the Son, kiss Christ, honor Him, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. We are to take refuge in Him. And there will be in Revelation eleven eighteen the second part, we see the nations rage. Your wrath came, the time for the dead to be judged, but for the rewarding of your saints, the prophets and saints, for those who fear your name, both great and small. We the reward. But there's the destruction of the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. You don't get to go into the temple. You don't get to go into the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant is. Oh, there's the Ark of the Covenant. It's seen within His temple. The glory of God is revealed. What's the temple? The church. And we see this later in Revelation. The bride coming down. The church coming down. It's open. The temple is open. And the Ark of His Covenant. Ark of His Covenant. Law. Grace. Mercy. Blood jesus christ we preach through exodus we see and in, uh, that the ark of the covenant is a sign and seal a representation of jesus christ temples the church holy of holies the ark the the veil was his flesh and now we're in so the heavens are open we see the church we see christ and there are flashes of lightning rumbles and peals of thunder earthquake and heavy hail so every time we here we are again a couple other places in Revelation, you're going to see it again. End of the world, that's it. Why is there more stuff to come? Because we're going to look at it from another perspective. And what's coming up is the woman and the dragon and the beast and Satan. So now you're going to get to see the personalities that are involved in the demonic um, battle against the church. The, the personalities. And so that's what we have to be aware of. So the main thing is, are you in the kingdom? And to be in the kingdom, you trust in Jesus Christ, you put your faith and trust in him, and all who come to him will by no means cast out, and you will be rewarded, so we're going to sing joy to the world, wait a second, that's a Christmas song, well, is it, um, it was not originally written or intended to be a Christian, I mean a, um, a Christmas carol or Christmas hymn, it was um, published first in 1719. Um, as a poem, Isaac Watts wrote poems based on all the Psalms from a Christian perspective, and this was one of them. A um, hundred years later, 1836, Lowell Mason combined the themes from Handel's Messiah and came out with a new tune that he called Antioch. And so for about three years, he looked for the right words to add to this tune. And finally, he settles on this from from Isaac Watts, and this is the way we sing it today, as we sing Joy to the World. But it's based on Psalm 96, which is what I read as the call to worship this morning, which is um, about Jesus' reign, and that we are to be joyous, that the battle belongs to the Lord. And whatever your battle or battles, you have to remember that it belongs to the Lord. Christ defeated death and hell. Victory is sure. It is finished. And today we're bringing in the sheaves. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, your kingdom has come into this world through Jesus Christ. Your church is to be shining that light. We look forward to the day when that's it. But we do have a heart for those who have yet to respond to your gospel call. For the lost, we pray for, for the gospel message to go out boldly so that we would live lives focused on beauty and holy and justice and righteousness in the gospel. I'm going to pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.